You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Uh, we're wrapping up our series today called The Fruit. We are in part number nine, y'all, which I can't believe it. It seems like it's flown by. And uh, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And specifically, uh, today we're talking about the very last one. The very last one, it's called uh, self-control. But let's read the fruit of the Spirit together before we get into it. Galatians 5, verse 22 says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is, one last time, everybody say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Today, we're talking all about self-control. Before I get into it, though, I want to remind you of the fruit of the Spirit and what exactly it means for us. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of God on display in our lives. It's the character of God on display in our lives. Why is it so important for us to bear the fruit of the Spirit? It's because many times people that are in your life that are far from God, their uh, first interaction with God is going to be through your character. It's going to be through your actions, through your words, through your attitudes on the job side, in the office, in that meeting, uh, man, the waiter or the waitress at the, at the restaurant. It's going to be through how you handle yourself in this life. Now, we are not the source of these things, right? I can't try to be more patient. If I do, I may be a little bit more patient, but I will never have godly patience. I can't try to be more loving. I can try, but it's going to be a wasted effort because these are the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me. And so in order to produce these things, I must have a close personal relationship with Jesus. And in abiding in him, that's what that means, remaining as one, I can then tap into the character of God and his fruit is produced in my life. And so you can see how God loves his kids. Because too many times we look at this list and we say, man, I got a lot I need to work on. I got a lot that I need to do. I need to try to be better. And we get into this religious Uh, works mentality. I've got to try really hard to be better on all of these things. And God is saying, no, I'm perfect at all of those things. Why don't you just have a close relationship with me, spend time with me, invite me into your day, and I'll produce those things in your life. And you will see them, and you'll see yourself doing things that you would say, I don't know why. I would never used to do this. I, I used to be totally different, and it's just God, his character, working and producing fruit in your life. So today, let's talk about it. Self-control. Self-control. I think if we'd be honest, all of us would say, there's some area of my life I could use a little bit more self-control. You know what I'm talking about? We could all be honest and say, I could use a little bit more. Self-control is allowing the Spirit of God to control or to have control in our lives. It's allowing the Spirit of God to bring in control in our lives. In fact, the original language for that word, self-control, there's a couple words. Uh, We'll put it up here for you. That original definition is this, having an inner strength to master one's desires and passions. Having an inner strength to master one's desires and passions. Now, here's what that's not. The inner strength is not, I am strong enough. The inner strength is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God, His strength in you to master the desires and the passions of your old self. So why do we need self-control, right? If I'm a, if I'm a Christian, I put my faith in Jesus, He puts His Spirit on the inside of me, I'm made brand new. Why do I need to have self-control? We have to remind ourselves that our spirit's made brand new at salvation, but there are still other parts of us that need to be made brand new 
as we go throughout our day, right? We're made up of three different parts. Our spirit, the innermost part of us, the real part, our flesh, and our mind, our soul, as we might call it. We have these three parts. Our spirit's made brand new, but the other parts got to be left or kept in check, rather, uh, as we go throughout our day. So let's look at it. Galatians 5. Let me show you exactly what I mean. There's a tension going on between the flesh and the spirit. So let's look at it. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Our flesh and our spirit are in conflict with one another. And if you've walked with God for any amount of time, you know this to be true. Lord, I want to do what's right. But there's a part of me that just tries to keep dragging me back into the sin that I used to live in. Your flesh wants to do wrong. Your spirit wants to do what is right. And oftentimes what happens is we will look at the world, people that don't know Jesus, and we'll say, well, you can tell they don't know Jesus because of their lifestyle. And this is what Galatians 5, we'll read in just a second, calls the works of the flesh. Well, man, they don't know Jesus. They look at their life is filled with the works of the flesh. And many times we'll get self-righteous and say, well, I'm not as bad as them, or I don't deal with those things. But here's what I would say. These works of the flesh are also visible in people who do know Jesus. And the works of the flesh are visible to people who claim to walk with Jesus, but they lack the fruit of self-control. So as we get into this, you may say, well, I'm not that bad, right? I'm not doing all that stuff on the list, but I would ask you to be soft to the Holy Spirit's voice and say, Lord, is there something on this list that I need to address with the fruit of self-control. So let's read it, Galatians 5, 19 now. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sexual immorality, what is that? It's any physical relation, sexual relation, outside of biblical marriage, which is one man born a man, one woman born a woman, in holy matrimony, okay? Let's make that very clear. That's what scripture says. In today's world, you've got to be abundantly clear in those things. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Stop. If you're ever reading scripture and you read that phrase, which is in there several times, they will not, anyone living like this, doing this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a good place to stop, and it's a good place to say, let me reread <laughs> what I just read to make sure that I'm not doing anything that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So a couple things on this list that oftentimes we look over and we think it's not a big deal. Idolatry is a big one. You may say, well, I don't have a golden calf in my living room at home, right? I'm not worshiping every single day. No, but idolatry is anything that's keeping you from the things of God. So what in your life is keeping you from daily prayer? What in your life is keeping you from getting in your Bible? What in your life is keeping you from church? What in life is keeping you from worshiping God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind? What is keeping you? Because whatever is keeping you might be something that you have in the number one spot. For some people, idolatry is sleep. I got to get, get my 12 hours, right? <laughs> Hopefully it's not 12 hours, but... 
I can't, I can't get in control enough to spend an extra 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the presence of my Savior. See, idolatry is not just some golden calf. It can be a lot of different things. Uh, let's, another one, sorcery and witchcraft. You may say, well, I'm not casting spells at my house, right? But witchcraft at its basic form is manipulation. How many times do I, mean, I, can mani- I know I can manipulate the situation for my benefit? It's the works of the flesh. Fits of anger, right? I know a lot of guys talk to, to guys that are, they get angry and they throw things and they punch a hole in the wall and they think that's what being a man is. And it's not, it's being a fool. It's a work of the flesh and it shows immaturity in the faith. These things listed on here, many times we just overlook it, but God is saying, look, this important for us to realize that when we see that list of the works of the flesh, we are seeing an out of control life. And what does he say? Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he brings in the good news, right? Let's continue on verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Meaning this, let's, let's spiritually literally walk with the Spirit. No matter where I step today, tomorrow, this week, on the job site, in the classroom, uh, to the grocery store, Lord, let me walk in step with your Spirit. It's not a Sunday church thing. It's an everyday thing because I'm not choosing to walk or live in the Spirit one day a week. I'm living in the Spirit every day. Lord, when I wake up, I acknowledge you. I pray to you before I do anything else. You're first in my life. And now I'm inviting you in and I'm gonna keep you, number one on my mind, no matter what I do, no matter what happens, I'm gonna keep you number one so I can walk with you in the spirit step by step. But there's a huge tension. The flesh and the spirit are fighting against each other. And to add on to that, our spiritual enemy uses our culture to fight against our spirit as well. If you look at our culture, it is riddled with uncontrolled living because our culture says, do whatever you want. Be you, right? If you feel like a cat today, you can be a cat. No, you can't. That's not, that's not how it works. If you feel like something totally, I'm, I'm going to get into a different message, but <laughs> staying on point because I've got a lot to cover. No, there's truth in God's word. And this is the foundation for our lives. And this and this alone can give us controlled living. But what happens is in our culture, we see just some statistics here. 50% of marriages end in divorce. And that's basically the same for the church as well. 40% of those marriages that ended in divorce were because of adultery. What's that? Uncontrolled living. Lack of self-control. The average debt for the average American is $35,000, not including the mortgage. What is that? Uncontrolled living. 40% of people under the age of 20 are struggling with obesity. 70% of people above the age of 20 are struggling with obesity. What is that? Uncontrolled living. My body is a temple. How am I, con- how am I walking in control to honor the spirit and not honor my flesh? Statistics like this will show us, right, uncontrolled living. And, and here's the thing when we're not submitted to the spirit of God, things eventually get out of control. 
But God's word demands and shows us you must choose to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. That's why Romans 8, 13 says this, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You see in our mind, that doesn't make sense. Well, what do you, death and live, if I put to death my body, I'm gonna live. What, what are we talking about here? He's not always just talking, it's not always just talking about a, a physical death. If you feed the flesh, if you, if you walk according to the flesh, you will die. Sometimes it does mean that. If your doctor's been telling you to do something for 10, 15 years and you have yet to do it, it may not end well with you. You need to have wisdom and honor some godly, good advice, some health advice. You may need to do that. But here's the thing. Death may be the death of your marriage. If I walk by the flesh, it could mean the death of a friendship, the death of my marriage, the death of a relationship, the death of my job, my career, my dreams, my ambitions. If I'm feeding the flesh, living without self-control, it always ends in death. It always ends in destruction. And so here's the hard truth for today. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Either we put to death the flesh or the flesh will put us to death. Either we put to death the flesh or the flesh will put us to death. There's no in-between. We can't live in harmony with the flesh, natural, old desires of our life. Doesn't work that way. There, something <laughs> is going to be put on the altar. So today I'm going to talk about three ways to bear self-control. Three ways to bear self-control. I'm going to cover a lot today. So that's why we give you those note-taking cards, because I want you to take these home look in your Bible, look it up in context, and, and take God's word, God's word for it. Don't just take mine. Three ways to bear self-control. Here's point number one. If you're filling in the blank is this. Crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. For all the kiddos in the room, that's number one. I'll give you a second here to, to fill it in. Crucify the flesh. In Galatians 5, verse 24, on your notes, sorry, I did a typo. I put 224. It's 524. That's my bad on that. It says this, so we're going to go back to it. Galatians 524, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That word crucify means this, to mercilessly kill it, to mercilessly kill it. It's not a passive thing. It's not a, well, I'll just kind of tiptoe around and I'll still live my old sinful way, when I know that it's sin, I'm still going to kind of do it just a little bit, not as much as I used to though, because I'm saved now and I'm a Christian now. No, it says crucify it. Colossians chapter three reiterates that error talks about the same, um, the same perspective. Let's look at it. Colossians three, starting in verse five, it says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you have nothing to do with. Let me say it again. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. See, a lot of times we read that and stop there for a second. We'll read that and we think, well, that's Old Testament God, right? He was kind of, he did some harsh things. Holiness is a serious issue to our God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the good news is he's given you a helper and a way to have holiness and to walk in holy, righteous living through the power of his Holy Spirit. But it doesn't mean that I can continue to do whatever I want to do. I'll get to that in just a second. He said, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of rage or anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. 
Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful, sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Man, that's so good. Put on your new nature. How? When you learn to know your creator, you become like him the more time you spend with him. Strategic verbiage here I want to point out. Have nothing to do with. Have nothing to do with. You know what that means? Have nothing to do with. <laughs> okay? Well, here's, here, let me say it this way. If you're following Jesus, you can't afford to have a best friend who is doing and acting like the things on this list. You can't. He says, have nothing to do with. Does that mean I don't love them? No, I love them. I pray for them. I encourage them. I can still stay connected to them, but I cannot give them close, intimate access with myself. And this is the greatest trick of the devil. Spiritually, think of this spiritually, but I'll give you a, a physical uh, illustration. Think of yourself if you're not a very good swimmer and you see someone drowning in the deep end of the pool and you barely know how to swim yourself. You can barely, you can like dog paddle, you know what I'm saying? And you think, I'm gonna save that person. But that person is bigger than you, stronger than you, and they're flopping and they're drowning and they're sinking. I can swim a little bit, but I'm gonna get in there and I'm gonna save them. It might happen, but you know what also might happen? And most of the times what happens in those situations, both people are pulled to the bottom because one person is panicking, trying to find life and breath. And in doing so, they will scratch and pull until the other person goes down with them. And if we're not careful, too many times out of, the good, out of a good heart, we think, I'm gonna stay in this relationship. I'm going to have close, uh, you know, intimate relationship with someone, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friendship. I'm gonna keep them so close to me because I'm gonna try to save them. But too many times we jump into it and we don't have enough solid footing in our own self. And in doing so, we find ourselves, why do I keep going back to what I used to do? Why do I keep acting that way? I know it's against God's word. Because maybe you need to get by some people that can help you swim and swim well, get around some mature swimmers so that if you see someone drowning, then you can actually save them. You see what I'm saying? So many times we have a good heart but it can end up backfiring on us. He says, have nothing to do with because he knows the consequence. He knows how serious it is. We gotta have godly wisdom. He says, now is the time, right now. Well, I'm gonna change this week. I'm gonna start that diet this week. I'm gonna cut out that addiction this week. Now's the time, today's, today's the day. <laughs> Today is the day that I'm gonna make some changes. Why? So that I can become like him. The very last part there, I can become like him. I've got to make some decisions. These are daily things. How do I crucify the flesh? It sounds Christianese, okay? But how do I do it? Jesus said daily, daily. Look at uh, Luke 9, 23. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily. Everybody say daily. Daily and follow me. Every day I'm saying, I'm picking up my cross. What does picking up my cross mean? It's crucifying myself not physically, spiritually. Lord, I'm, I'm not following my own passions. Lord, I'm following you. And wherever you take me, no matter what it costs, I am going to do it. And I'm going to say, yes, sir. And I will go all the way in. You've got to kill 
the flesh and its nature every single day. And here's how you do it. The most practical thing I can tell you is this. You've got to make decisions against yourself or against your flesh every day. Make decisions against your flesh every single day. Here's, here's what that means. That fit and that healthy person that you know, that lost the extra weight and they got the six pack now and they look amazing. What did they do? They made decisions against themselves daily to not eat junk food and to be active. It was easier to eat junk food, but they said, no, I won't. The person that got the promotion, they made a decision against themselves to, to rather than sleep in, rather than show up a little bit late, rather than whatever, have a bad attitude and everyone else is having a bad attitude. And they said, I'm gonna show up early. I'm gonna be diligent. I'm gonna have a good attitude. I'm gonna stay late if I need to stay late. All of those are decisions against themselves and what their nature would actually want. The person that comes to church to serve, I think of the, 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 our A-team in there right now that's serving and loving on the little ones. They came in today and they made a decision against themselves. It'd be easier to show up at 10 and to leave right after church, but I'm gonna show up early. Not only that, but I'm gonna show up early and I'm gonna serve in a place where I don't get to worship with everyone and hear the message, but I'm gonna serve and love on someone else's kids. Come on, somebody, that's a good thing, right? And I'm gonna stay a little bit late to help clean up. They made decisions against themselves. Here's why this is so important every single day. You can't pacify and you can't manage the flesh. The flesh. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says crucify the flesh, meaning you've got to give it death blows every day. Every day I've got to make some, uh, some extreme decisions. So if you're struggling with an addiction, what extreme measure are you willing to take in order to free yourself from that or to have the Holy Spirit help free yourself, yourself from that? Am I willing to get accountability? Am I willing to get rid of that smart device and go back to a flip phone if I need to? What am I willing to do to rid myself of that addiction that's holding me back? If you are struggling with stress, anxiety, or fear, what extreme measure are you willing to do to help yourself, to have self-control? Are you willing to stop watching the news? Right? Well, I'm not gonna be informed. Exactly. I promise you someone's going to tell you what's going on, okay? I'm not going to know what's going on. You will. That's the point. Are you willing to get off social media? Do a cleanse, 90 days, something. What extreme measure are you willing to take? Crucify the flesh. Make extreme death blow decisions against yourself every single day. Point number two is this. Feed on what satisfies. Feed on what satisfies. So not only am I crucifying the flesh, there's also, there's got to be another action with this. So I'm crucifying the flesh, but I'm also going to strengthen my spirit at the same time. So feed on what satisfies. Here's a great example. Uh, Leslie and I, we love Charleston's, right? If we have a date night or something like that, Charleston's is one of our go-tos. I'm going to go there. I get the same thing. Everything on their menu is great, but I'm going to get a chicken fried chicken, okay, with the mashed potatoes and the sweet glazed carrots and the sweet tea. That's what's going to happen, okay? And if we got a little bit of extra in the budget, I might get me a key lime pie to go, all right? You know what I'm saying? So anyway, that's not in my notes. But any, uh, we love Charleston's. When we go to Charleston's, we don't drive to Charleston's and then go around to the back of the restaurant and then get in their dumpster and open up the trash bags and say, man, look at all this good food in here. Man, this is delicious. This is all lukewarm, just like I like it right? No. Why do we not do that? Because we've gone and we've gone in the front door and we've been sat down at a clean table and we've had fresh hot food brought out and nice cold drinks and fresh beverages. And because of that, we go in the front and we get the fresh food and we get the good food. We get the food that satisfies. Hear me in this. When you're not pursuing God like you should be, you will begin to have an appetite to consume garbage when God's designed you to feed on the good stuff. 
let me say it again. When you're not pursuing God like you should be, you will begin to have an appetite to consume spiritual garbage when God's designed you to feed on the good stuff. And that's the difference. Too many times these things pop up, right? You may have a beautiful, wonderful wife, but you're still running to the internet to satisfy a need in your flesh. Why? You're not feeding on what satisfies. You're not feeding on what satisfies. So there's still a hunger in you. And because you're not satisfied with God and his word, what's happening is I still have to go and I have to meet that need somehow. You may have a hardworking, faithful husband, but you find yourself emotionally invested in another man. Why? Because you're not feeding on what satisfies. You may have a dream job. And because of that, you find yourself cheating or stealing from work or stealing time because of an unsatisfied need. So the question is this, how? How then do I feed what satisfies? Matthew 4, 4 says this, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's quoting Deuteronomy here, but he's, he's talking to Satan directly. Man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the modern world, the, the, I think oftentimes what Satan has done is he's downplayed the power of speaking God's word. And we think, well, if you're speaking God's word, you're just speaking denial. You're living in denial that you can just say something and something changes. But here's what I want to remind you of. If Jesus spoke God's word out loud to resist the enemy and he was successful and victorious, what makes you think that you don't need to do that? I need to be speaking God's word. If scripture has no power in it and it was just like any other ordinary book, why would Jesus speak it to defeat his enemy? It has power. This thing has power. And I'll say it this way. Self-help books or books authored by humans cannot defeat Satan. The Bible can. Self-help books and books authored by humans cannot defeat Satan, but this book can. This book is living and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You may say, well, Pastor Dan, this was written by humans. It was written down by humans, but it was authored and God breathed by the Holy Spirit for them to write down physically. That's the difference. The Bible is our spiritual nourishment. It sustains us. Just like our body needs uh, sustaining for a natural uh, just activity, we need spiritual food to sustain us in our walk with God. But here's what happens. Too many times we have Christians who are dying from spiritual malnourishment because they're not feeding on the word of God, which satisfies our spiritual appetite. We have too many Christians dying from spiritual malnourishment. We've got to get back to the basics. Get in here. Get in this thing and read it. Look at what Job said in, in, in chapter 23, verse 12. He said, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I've treasured God's word more than my necessary food. Is that how I approach this book? Am I that hungry for this book? Because I can get pretty hungry for a chicken fried chicken. <laughs> but am I that hungry for the things of God and the word of God? How do I feed on what satisfies? It's so simple. It's so simple. Read the Bible, pray, worship God, serve in church so you can have accountability and community and people around you, and it will satisfy the deepest part of yourself. And when, when, what happens is there's a shift that changes. Now, when I feed on what satisfies, there's a shift that changes. And now, spiritually, you'll be driving along and you'll see a dumpster of your old life and what you used to consume and you'll say, I have no appetite for that garbage anymore. I have no appetite for that thing on the internet. I have no appetite for that addiction that I used to have. I have no appetite. Why? Because you've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good and you've fed the right thing. And you'll be driving and you'll say, man, I can't believe I used, even used to talk like that. 
I can't believe I used to watch those movies. I can't believe I used to do that. I can't believe I used to. The same as you would say, I can't believe I used to eat out of a dumpster when I could have gone in the front door and got the good food. That's how God wants us to be when in the spiritual realm and whatever part of yourself that you feed the most will be the strongest. When I choose to feed my spirit more than I give into my flesh, my spirit is in control. When I was in kids ministry, we had an ob- object lesson one time where we were talking about the same thing. There's the spirit and the flesh. They're going to, against each other. And we did this makeshift wrestling ring on stage, like WWE style wrestling ring. We got these, uh, these high school football players to come in and put on these wrestling outfits. And one of them represented the spirit. One of them represented the flesh. And we had them come in and we had them put on this big old wrestling match on stage in front of, and the kids were going nuts, right? They're just screaming. But the whole point was, hey, we're going to cheer on the, the spirit and we're going to cheer them on. And then, you know, the spirit would start to get knocked down and we would say, hey, say this verse after us. And we'd start speaking God's word. And then the spirit would gain some strength and he'd go back and start hitting the flesh. And eventually the spirit would, you know, pin the flesh and throw him out of the ring and everybody would cheer as crazy. But that's the picture you got to have. Which one am I feeding? I got two wrestlers going They're fighting each other. Whichever one I feed the most is the one that's going to be the strongest to see me through today. Let's not be malnourished Christians. Let's feed on what satisfies. Point number three, and I'm wrapping up. Live eternally minded. Live eternally minded. Too many times we get fixed on, this is what I want in this moment. And that's where we lose battles. When we shift our perspective and we say, I may want this in this moment, but I know the impacts it will have for tomorrow, but for all eternity. That's where I have the perspective to say and the strength to say, I'm not going to go back to what, how I used to live, but I'm gonna look forward to what God has for me. In Titus 2, in verse 11, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Let me stop there. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Who's that? Jesus. He's appeared. He's brought salvation. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Jesus has shown up, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. A couple things. When I understand the true grace of God, I have no desire to keep sinning as some would believe. You see, I talked to a young man a couple years ago and he told me, well, God's grace covers everything, man. And he was all grace, but he had no truth. Jesus is grace and truth. And he was living however he wanted to live, getting drunk and partying, sleeping with whoever he wanted to sleep with. I'm good, man, God's grace. He wasn't willing to hear me out when I would show him scriptures like this, because how he's living is the opposite of scripture. Because what does scriptures tell us? God's grace trains us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Well, I'll be holy when I get to heaven. In the present age, you can live self-controlled. In the present age, you can live godly. You can have an upright and moral life, a holy life. Does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, you're going to fall from time to time. But the important thing is you get back up and you say, Holy Spirit, help me learn from my mistakes and help me walk in purity moving forward. 
and I ask for forgiveness and I repent and I make the changes I need to make so I can walk in God's will for my life. Proverbs 25 verse 28 says this, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Walls for a city means protection. It's safety and it's security. Walls are important. But in the, in the Bible times, what would happen is these walls would have gates and the gates allowed things to come in and to go out according to the elders of the city. The elders would sit at the gate and they would say, these things can come in, they're good. You guys, not so much, you don't, you don't get to come in here. They protected the city, the walls, and they guarded the gate. I'm gonna tell you something, your eyes, your ears, and your mouth are the gates of your life and your job is to guard the gates. Your eyes, your ears, and your mouth are the gates to your life and your job is to guard the gates because you have an enemy who's wanting to come into your life and who wants to destroy everything in your life, your marriage and your career and your integrity and your influence. And he wants to come in and a life without self-control is like a city that has broken down walls, meaning he can come in and he can do whatever he wants because I've let him. But when I bear the fruit of self-control, I say, not here, not here. Why is this important? Because all of eternity is at stake. Here's what I mean. God has placed people in your life and in your influence so that you will point them to him. If we live without self-control, we run the risk of turning people away from Jesus, not temporarily, for eternity. And too many times we forget that hell's real and heaven's real. And we think, well, my actions are just gonna affect me. I'm just gonna, what's one more time of me doing this, acting that way, saying this thing, hanging out with that person? But our actions affect eternity. And we don't earn our way to, to heaven. I'm not talking about works and salvation. I'm talking about salvation has nothing to do with works because it's a free gift from Jesus. Discipleship has everything to do with works because now I have a responsibility to represent Jesus well to the lost people around me. And when I walk without the fruit of the spirit and I walk without self-control, what happens is I live a natural, normal life. Church, God has called us to live supernaturally, not naturally. God has called us to live in such a way that our lives would be bright, shining lights in a crooked and a perverse world, in a dark world. Our life can't be bright and shining when we act and talk and do everything just like the world. Because here's why, we ruin and we throw away our testimony and our influence because the world watches us and say, why would I wanna be like you? I'm already like you. What do you have that I don't? But when I allow the grace of God to train me to walk in self-control, to live uprightly, I walk in such a way where I stand out from the world around me. And I live in such a way that impacts eternity. Let's be a church that's consumed with pursuing Jesus because that's where the fruit of the spirit comes from, his fruit, not mine. Let's be a church that crucifies our flesh. It's not what I want, Lord, what do you want in me and through me today? I'm gonna feed on what satisfies. I'm not gonna eat garbage anymore. I'm not gonna act like garbage anymore. No, I'm gonna feed on the spirit and the good stuff. And then I'm gonna live eternally minded. I'm gonna acknowledge my actions will affect my son and, and my kids and my generations after me. My actions will affect my coworkers. My actions will affect everyone. It's not just about me. I'm living in a way that honors God and brings people closer to him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, 
We come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, right now, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is challenging. Lord, your word is like a workout. It stretches us, it challenges us, it cuts out things deep in our life that need to be cut out. And Lord, I pray that today, as we talked about self-control, I pray this week you would help us, Lord. Look at these reflection questions. Talk about the action steps and make the changes that you want for us, not the changes we want, the changes you want, so that we can live a submitted life to you, so we can have life and life abundantly, as Romans 8 talks about, Lord. We want to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. I thank you for giving us the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.